So I'm absolutely thrilled to now be joined by Eddie Hobbs. Eddie is a regular contributor and commentator on matters of economic management and, and personal finance, having previously presented RT's very successful finance series, Show Me the Money. In recent months, he's uh, been critical, a critical voice in analysing Ireland's fiscal response to COVID-19 and his most recent observations uh, on the current climate are available to view on eddiehobbs.com. Eddie, thanks a million for joining me today. You're very welcome. Um, Eddie, there's so many places where we could start this conversation and it would be very easy to kind of get bogged down in what's happened over the last seven or eight months. But I'd like to ask you this. So the ECB, going back seven or eight months ago, realized that the proverbial was going to hit the fan and they saw that coming eventually, uh, you know, and they realized that they needed to provide adequate support to European nation states. And there was this sort of Mario Draghi moment of mm. we'll do whatever it takes to save the currency and the euro. So could you just briefly explain to me and to the listeners, what have they actually done to ensure this? Well, I think the best way of, of coming at that, Kieran, if I may, is to it's just to go back a little bit further and go broader, go global, because the ECB is, is operating in concert with the other global central banks. That's quite clear. The, the lead central bank, really, I mean, the global central bank is the Fed. The next most important one is the ECB, you know, Bank of Japan, Bank of England, etc. And uh, when the global financial crisis hit, uh, uh, which seems like a long time ago for people, you know, who are students in college at the moment, but actually was really only a very short time ago. The response at the time was to interfere, to basically blow a whistle and, and stop the free forces of capitalism and, and, and where you had massive central bank intervention through money printing, uh, also known as quantitative easing, uh, which is really just bailing out uh, countries like Greece and Italy. Uh, and, and buying securities, their bonds, at prices nobody else would pay in the market. Uh, and so you had the first, basically, uh, dole for, um, for countries um, to, to stop, uh, basically, a collapse of the global financial system at the time. And Europe had to reinvent itself. Uh, it was a real existential moment, and it did it through that crisis period. But it was also happening elsewhere throughout the world, including in the United States. Uh, banks then were you know, recapitalized there more strongly than they were in Europe, et cetera. And off we went. And every time the, uh, the, the, um, the artificial blow up that that then created in, in asset prices and property and stocks and bonds and all the rest of it, anytime it was threatened, they just opened up the spigots again. So the next real threat really was towards the back end of 2018 when, when it looked as if stock markets were going to just collapse. Uh, you know, they were falling 20% very quickly. And the, the People's Bank of China and the uh, Fed simply opened up the spigots and there was more money printing and away we went again. And along comes COVID-19 then at the start of this year. And that the actual fall in market like markets are important because they're a, they're 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 a, they're a measure of what's happened, what's going to come down along, what's coming down the pipe from an economic perspective. So stock markets fell um, from peak to trough by about fifty percent between February and the worst part of March, which was nose bleeding. But we were so engrossed with the with the pandemic numbers, the health numbers. Uh, there was very little journalism or attention going on the economic impacts at all. So it kind of went over our heads here. But that was the scale of the collapse. And globally, then the central banks did what they've done before, except this time it was absolutely jaw dropping. 
the level of money printing was, we think, around 20 trillion when you add it all together globally, dollars. But, uh, so what, what, what that's done now is that it's pushed up global debt by the end of this year to close to 280 trillion, uh, about 3.65 times global GDP. It's at levels we've never seen before globally. And the, the scale of debt that has been built up over this long-term debt cycle, which arguably goes back 50 years, is now reached a point where they can't increase interest rates. It's not possible because the debt load is too high. So we're into this extraordinary period of zero or negative interest rates and, and massive amounts of, of, of debt, which has created a huge surplus of capital. So there's huge, massive amounts of cash knocking around, seeking things to do. So you have an excess capital. So this is mispricing by central banks of the one commodity they're responsible for, which is the pricing of money. And they've done it for 10 years. And we've reached this point now where it's a bit like a, a sponge that's taken on too much water. Uh, it can continue to take on a little bit more, but it needs a squeeze. Um, and so therefore, large parts of the global economy, especially Europe, Japan, where you have aging populations, and I'm excluding Ireland from that, uh, are, are, are facing kind of very sluggish type conditions, very low rates of economic growth, very low, you know, negative returns on cash and bonds for maybe five or 10 years or longer. We just don't know. And the only real growth that that's going to come will be technology gains, pharmaceutical gains in, in developed markets. But, but, but in the emerging markets, obviously, you know, the population story will continue to be a bright one in Asia and other areas. Uh, so as we are speaking, then the, the global financial system is being re-engineered. Um, and that's my point in my latest um, article where I'm pointing out that, you know, the, the, the focus has been on, on, on very good advocates like um, Alexandra um, AOC in America, uh, who I've been following with great interest since she first burst onto the scene. She's just extraordinary to watch her perform. Uh, and, uh, and others, you know, advocating from the kind of left position, which is fine. But the, an extinction rebellion then at the extreme end of all of that. Like, but really, the attention should be elsewhere because that's where the, the where, when you've got powerful technocrats coming together to try and uh, to come up with another solution. These are unelected technocrats like the ECB, which is unaccountable to anybody. Um, uh, central bankers, organizations like the uh, Bank for International Settlements, which was set up at the end of the First World War, a very interesting organization, not enough known about it. Uh, the Financial Stability Board, all of these are, 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 are their, their power has grown over this period. So what we've got really for the last 10 years, and I know it's a convoluted answer to the question, is we've basically got a, we're, a new type of business model has been developed, where it started off with sovereigns going on the dole, and then now corporates are on the dole, where the Fed and the ECB are basically buying the corporate debt issued by large companies, and these are creating zombies. So zombie companies are companies that actually cannot service their own debt at normal rates of interest, uh, and, and are really just existing in, a, in this kind of um, artificial vacuum created by artificial supports, when really what should have happened, what ideally happened, is that, um, that the period of support is characterized by deep reform of these com companies and countries to make them fitter and more productive than they were hitherto. And when that doesn't happen, you create these zombies. So the latest calculation indicates, for example, that one in every five of the US top 3000 companies is a zombie. Now they might unzombify at some stage in the future, but like they are zombies. 
so when you when you strip off the growth in technology and pharmaceuticals and so on, you really look at the scale of the money printing that's gone on for the last decade, and you ask yourself, well, what kind of economic extra growth did that create? The answer is it's negative. You know, so we're at the end of a long-term debt cycle. That's the issue. So the thing is coming to a close. They can keep it going for another while. So when your question, you questioned really, well, what are the ECB doing? Well, the ECB, unlike the United States, is not a country. It's a series of countries. Uh, the banking system has a central central bank, the ECB. Uh, each this ECB then is in, is 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 over overarches the individual country actors, the uh, very very central banks in the different. Uh, countries they report into the ECB they also have a a, a thing called the uh, single um anyway they have they have the SRB which is there to resolute so the single resolution board which is basically their uh, their fire brigade when when banks run into trouble and they will because the scale of um bad debt that's now coming down the pipe has already been calculated in the ECB as 1.4 trillion which is about three times the scale of the debt that caused the global financial crisis by, you know, from out of America um, back, back in the day. So this, these, are, these are big numbers, 1.45 trillion uh, in non-performing debt hitting the banking system in Europe that itself is not federalized. It's non-federalized. So um, if, if we're going to have, uh, and there will be uh, banks getting into difficulty over this, um, and they'll be taken over by other banks. That's the softest thing to do. But you could you could you could end up with harder solutions than that. Uh, obviously, that's that's an issue, and it's a global issue um, because um, when you've got large tracts of the economy where co- companies are actually insolvent, they they don't have cash coming in the door. It's not that they have a liquidity problem; they have a solvency problem. Yes, yes. And um, and they're 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 getting forbearance at the moment from various banking systems, and all that will end next year as the vaccines arrive. The tide will go out, and we'll have the same situation we had before, where you know you'll see who's wearing their togs and who's who's not. Absolutely, um, it's it's that that's actually one of my favorite analogies that you only know who's naked when the tide goes out. Um, and it's a it's a great way of kind of putting things as as a as a fellow uh, Cork Onion might say, mm. George Hook, you've got to back up the truck here now a small bit, Eddie. <laughs> and what I, what I might say is, is that, you know, they really did have no other option, though, to print more money from from kind of April onwards, did they? Uh, you know, well, they, they simply weren't going to let um countries fall apart and, and 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 businesses fall apart but i also go back to something that you said in in may and you said that the irish government were kind of making a hames of of the whole situation uh you know we seem to have not responded particularly well to what the ecb has put on the table and now we're in a stage where smes as opposed to lockdown number one it looks like they can't get access to loans from banks. Yeah. The grants are drying up and they have enormous cash flow difficulties. Yeah. And and we are going to see, I think, unless there's a drastic uh, change in strategy, a huge number of these SMEs closing for good. Well, yeah, you brought it back into, and you're right, bring it right down into, into local local nuts and bolts. Um, Firstly, just on the on the broader picture, like the you're right. I mean, globally, that had to be the response because the choice was made way back in the global financial crisis, arguably even before that, back in 1998, when the long-term capital management fund went burst. 
But the response is Keynesian economics. It's just print and print. Any problems, print, 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 and print. So like we're, we're you know, and that's been the that's been the, the you know, it's just one gear gear shift, and that's it. So that was always going to be the case. But like the problem that that created, for example, over the period was Italy. We a huge economy in Europe should have radically reformed its 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 practices as 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 as, as a. Um, uh, as, as, a, as an economy and didn't because it had access to cheap cash from the ECB, you know, supporting its bonds. So it didn't reform. Poor old Greece was forced to reform because it went burst. We were forced to reform. Uh, and, and so you have these companies then around the world are in the same position. Now, when it, when it comes to Ireland, 60% um, of, the, um, of, of, of the economy here are, are, are domestic SMEs. And these are the most vulnerable workers we have uh, um, because they don't, they're not members of big blue chip employ, employers. They don't have company pension schemes. Their SMEs in Ireland have very little cash on their balance sheets because there's no point in, in, in leaving the cash in companies and then paying tax on it, in, uh, corporation tax on it. So it's taken out and people invest in property and they do their various things. So SMEs are not in a good place when it comes to surviving, having no income coming in for three months or six months, or in this case, up to a year in some, in some businesses. So it was quite clear from the very outset uh, of the crisis uh, that the scale of the response of the Irish state was really focused on foreign direct investment. They were, they were in reasonably good nick because they were employees by big companies and the, and the, and the public sector itself. And SMEs really were, you know, they, obviously there was the COVID payments for workers, but, but SMEs themselves um, uh, were left swinging. Uh, and and, and they, because they are, they are regarded, in my opinion, uh, they are regarded, the Indigenous Irish business community is regarded as a subspecies in the Department of Finance, always has been and still is. And so far, I mean, I wrote about it at the time of the Sunday Independent, I, I highlighted the fact that the Minister for Finance at the time, Pascal O'Donnell, hadn't even met the SME sector, but had already given hours of broadcast on communications and answering questions through the large accountancy firms to big business uh, interests uh, that they represent. And, and it was only after that stinging article that, uh, that, um, that the dialogue started with the Department of Finance. And it's quite clear, SME, I mean, the, the, the offer, the, 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 the sort of the technical offer at the time well sure you can borrow money from the banks at cheap rates or we've organized we'll guarantee up to whatever it was but like SMEs don't want more debt they have enough thank you very much they need a bailout they need cash to survive and it was the government fiat that closed those companies it was nothing it wasn't bad management or anything like that yeah. I mean any SME that survived the global financial crisis and came through all that has been is very very well run business given all of the pressures that SMEs uh, um, are under to operate in Ireland. So extraordinary business people. And, and I was highlighting that um, as an issue. So we're now in our second lockdown. There may be a third or fourth, we don't know. It depends on how quickly the vaccines get into and, and all that kind of stuff next year. Uh, but we're definitely into, I think a third lockdown is probably, I think, I think it's a reasonable expectation. We're in the second one. And I mean, the truth is that, uh, that a lot of the businesses, small businesses that the people on COVID payments um, um, are, w w won't be there when, when they go back to work for them. Just won't be there. They'll be gone. They'll be liquidated. And we're in a, like these, these directors of these small companies, Liam, are in very serious trouble because under, under corporate, uh, under Irish um, corporate governance law, you can't trade while insolvent. 
it's an offence. And uh, you could be banned as a director. Uh, and you could be subject to other 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 problems as well under under the act. So uh, none none of this has been looked at. So um, so so S- so SME owners that have limited company structures will be consulting their lawyers to know when when do I have to get off the pitch to avoid a problem. Now this has happened before, where you get a lot of these um, um, sugared words from politicians, especially because it's easy. We're all in this together. Uh, put on the green jersey. Shoulder uh, to the wheel has been my favourite. But as soon as the tide goes out, I can tell you, I can tell you for an absolute fact, you can take it to the bank, pun intended. Banks will eat alive uh, any business that they feel uh, is insolvent and, and really doesn't have much of a future. And it, does, and they don't, and it won't matter what, what politician made what noise at the time and the Department of Finance will turn a blind eye because that's what's happened the last time around. So, so if if that's the case, Eddie, then surely, like I, I didn't even study economics for the leaving search, but I can see that from the way things are looking, is that the Irish Bank and so far the Department of Finance are happy to kind of sit by and see the collapse of SMEs over cash flow difficulties. And maybe that's because Pascal Donoghue doesn't understand what's been put on the table from the ECB. But you've already said that. Like if you're a a small to medium-sized enterprise uh, business owner, you're trying to keep skin and hair together. The last Mm. thing you want to do is take on a loan of 50,000. Um, and it seems that the Irish banks are, for some reason, preparing for bad loans, as opposed to the Irish government taking the money that's on the table mm. and dropping it into the accounts of SMEs in the form of, we'll say, a helicopter money or something like that. Yeah, they're like grants. You're correct. Yeah, that's 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 a, that's a reasonable summary. And the reason is is like. But they've gone back to the old process again of sure you can go to the bank and we'll give the bank guarantees and and it'll all be very fine but it won't be and it won't be fine because throughout europe including in ireland banks know that there is a fatberg coming at them through the sewers of non-performing loans and whatever and that fatberg is going to hit their uh, their capital buffers the basic foundation of their of their banking license so as a consequence of that every bank in europe is tightening credit so that, that's the issue. It, there's a, there's a, credit, a credit tightening going on because they know that their capital base is going to be subject to major shocks. So therefore, they're pulling in the horns. Um, they won't be pulling in the horns for people that are applying that have good jobs, public sector jobs or good jobs in FDI companies looking for mortgages uh, and all the rest of it. But anybody on the fringe, they're looking at them now and they're saying, sorry, uh, we can't, um, uh, you know, that, that loan offer that, uh, that we were talking about, I'm afraid we, we, we can't do it now. And, and that's what's going to continue on. So there, it's going to come, it's going to create a political crisis because um, next year when the forbearance measures come off, uh, the real um, business starts when banks in Ireland will be wading through their customer base, deciding what is a liquid and what is insolvent. And uh, having, it's a bit like two swimmers in the middle of a, of a river, uh, keeping each other afloat. As soon as the, the crisis is over, the banks will drown mm. the, the weaker swimmers. That's yeah. it, always yeah. do. And, and, and governments will turn a blind eye because do you know why uh, we actually own the banks? <laughs> which 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 is the sad irony in in all of this you know particularly yeah. with with AAB and well if I put it to you so 
like what's the number one thing that we should be doing to prevent this from happening the, the destruction of a sector of the Irish economy which I don't think people understand in terms of how much it actually employs people in this country yeah. like it's and you're not only talking about you know losing jobs but you're talking about complete overhaul and damaging society as a result well i mean the well look if you if you if you wanted to wave your magic wand really is the question you like what what would you do well firstly there's there's an ideological problem there like i mean so you have to be honest and say that's not going to go away the department of finance aren't going to agree to any of this i mean that's just the way it is um, and the banks, you know, there's a conservativeness that, that is there as well. But, but the ideal thing to do was to set up a fund from which money could be drawn down. And it could be drawn down on the uh, certification from an auditor to the, to the business in question, uh, subject to you know, a simple uh, application process um, uh, and, and not in a loan format. And that would require the auditor, obviously, standing over their professional reputation uh, to come up with a set of numbers that, uh, that that fit whatever the scheme is and the money simply drawn down and it's a grant. That's the way you do it. Mm. Uh, if you start running it through a loan process, loan underwriting pipeline, you know, yeah. it, it's obvious that what the intent will be, which is really just to restrict the actual capital, the access, the access to capital itself. And that should have been done from the start, but it wasn't done from the start and it wasn't done because there is a, an inherent deep suspicion uh, in the establishment that the indigenous Irish business person is uh, a rogue, corrupt, on the take, um, and up to some kind of a scam or another. Mm. But the billionaire um, um, multinational executive who comes in is cut from different cloth. That's always been the, the, the view, unfortunately. Well, I suppose it, and it goes back, and it's a historic thing, I would say, in, in Irish life, because even if you look at something like the famous poem of 1913, the, the fumble in a greasy tin, um, mm -hmm. you know, that, 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 that kind of view of an Irish consumer and an Irish uh, small business owner. Um, so I, this, I'm not looking forward to this next question, but yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering, so, so what is your, your prediction for the Irish economy and the jobs market over the next 12 to 18 months? Well, I would say I would say that uh, despite all of the aforementioned challenges that the SME sector faces, it will bounce back uh, very, very fast. Uh, new businesses will start, self-employed people will get back going again because there is, an there is a genuine entrepreneurial culture out there, huge amounts of talent. The problem is that the envelope that they're operating within is antediluvian and anti-entrepreneur. Anti I hate the word because it's misused sometimes by the left-leaning left media. But like they're there. There's plenty of natural talent there and it will come through. We're in an extraordinary situation in Ireland. Um, Britain is about to make a pig's breakfast of leaving the EU. That leaves us in pole position, uh, closest, closest land bridge to the uh, EU for, for, for American capital. English speaking, young population, educated, all of those things are true. So Ireland really behaves more like a tiger, an Asian tiger economy than it does as a kind of an aging European, kind of slightly sclerotic uh, European economy. We'll benefit from that. We have a young population, it's growing. We've obviously created bottlenecks in housing and health and education. All of that has to be dealt with with a reform of the public sector, God help us at some stage in the future. Um, if we ever get around to it. Um, but certainly, I, I see the Irish economy coming back quite quickly, uh, or GNP, not just at a GDP level, which is distorted by foreign direct investment, but at a GNP level as well. I think the indigenous economy will come back quite fast. 
despite the challenges. Um, but the problem is, um, I mean, it's, it's just going to be absolutely gorgeous for the uh, for the insolvent small business left behind dealing with the Irish banks and under the Irish system. Um, because, I mean, I'm still dealing with people that are suffering from enormous mental health problems for the last decade, dealing with um, this, 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 this just rapacious um, insolvency process that we have, uh, which never, which never ends until until the very last piece of blood is squeezed out of the last body. It's shocking when yeah, you when I, you understand yeah. it. It's nature, and uh, you know, there's going to be there's going to be fresh meat now going through that pipeline for the next ten years, and that's all avoidable. Um, I find I, fi- I find that actually pretty interesting in terms of what you're saying about the last ten years and how people are still not yeah. haven't gotten over the last re- recession, and um, I think people sometimes forget about that. And I know we've had some some decent growth here in the last couple of mm-hmm. years, but there's still definitely a, a hangover that remains um, from 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 the recession. Um, I I want to maybe move away from these shores a small bit, Eddie, and. Mm-hmm talk i know we've you've spoken about your piece that you've written on on your website there in the last couple of days and if we look at macroeconomics at a a wider level kind of a european and american level and you're talking about how the world essentially is just in an an enormous debt cycle and i i I think that you know the japanese in particular have been going through through this for for some time now yeah yeah for over 30 years yeah sometime yeah yeah exactly now i know there's an interesting appointment to the the treasury that joe biden has picked and that's janet yellen who by all accounts is a fairly steady eddy figure she's you know that the, there's no kind of left tinge in her whatsoever as you you were you were referring to aoc a minute ago they yeah. would have may, maybe have gone for someone like an elizabeth warren or something like that so I can't see that much radical change, but you know, in your latest piece, you're, you're you're suggesting that there is going to be a bit of a shift over the course of the next decade. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, the Americans, I mean, Yellen is a very good appointment, as you say, she's very st- steady hand on the till. Biden is a very steady hand on the till as well, uh, which is good. Uh, the Americans will be there trying to defend the dollar as the world reserve currency, but they have their own issues because their own debt level is obviously ballooning up. Um, now, the, the, the American um, preeminence will continue on for most of this century, in my opinion. They have so much, you know, they've, they've, they're stronger now than they were before the global financial crisis because of their strengths and their institutions are strong, their military is strong, their power, their reach is strong. And of course, they have the world reserve currency, the dollar. Um, but, but across the board, where you're, where, you, where you're now at the end of a long-term debt cycle, uh, you begin to see the, the changes coming. The, uh, the new head of the IMF who took over from um, Lagarde is a Bulgarian uh, economist, PhD economist, Kristalina uh, Georgieva. And she's talking about, she's openly now promoting the idea of a new Bretton Woods moment. Now, if you know what that means, I mean, that's loaded. Like Bretton Woods was a, um, a multi-national, kind of multi-country agreement that, uh, that, 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 that sort of sorted out the... Um, the, the destruction of the Second World War and, and stopped a Third World War from developing from currency wars that might emerge. So the currency system was fixed, linked to the dollar, pegged to the dollar. Uh, most of the gold at the time was held in the United States. So the US became the world reserve currency. It took over from sterling, which was destroyed after the First and Second World War. Uh, so, so therefore, a new Bretton Woods moment means that the IMF is openly talking about 
re-pegging um, the global financial system in some way. Meanwhile, her, her, um, uh, the former head of the IMF, now the chief at the ECB, Christine Lagarde, is openly talking about the ECB bringing in its digital currency. And um, I mean, that would mean that anybody who's got Bitcoin and these private cryptocurrencies will be just rendered illegal or priced out of it. But I mean, global central banks bringing in their own currency does mean that they can distribute cash uh, through the digital format directly into consumer bank accounts. Remember, they've already bailed out nation states. They're bailing out large companies. So bailing out individual consumers who've lost their jobs, for example, because of the advent of uh, robotics and artificial intelligence uh, could be done centrally using digital currencies. And I think that's the play. I think that's what's going on. But now, I mean, all this might sound fanciful until you actually read what these people are writing and saying. So the, real, the one to focus a lot of attention on is um, Klaus Schwab. And uh, you might say, well, who is he? Well, if you, if you remember Blofeld, who was the head of Spectre in the Bond movies, you'll get some sense of who Klaus Schwab is. He's the founder of and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum. Uh, which is based in Switzerland, and and it's it's very heavily and it's very heavily linked to um, Bilderberg. Um, it takes part in Davos. Uh, it was involved with the uh, John Hopkins Center for Health uh, Health Security, uh, and with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in running um, um, a simulated global pandemic meeting in October the eighteenth, two thousand nineteen. So it's 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 a big player, and he's openly talking about. Um, about the about about the next move, you know that um, that that the smartphone is has become an extension of ourselves. We're we're wearable technology, uh, and and he begins to see uh, a future of um, technology and humankind uh, linked together. Um, and and obviously, uh, from what I can see, the um, the play is that uh, that a new currency regime is coming in it will be digital it'll be central bank control with a lot of central bank power and then the the debate will start are we now into modern monetary theory where we just simply print whatever is needed it doesn't matter how much money you print uh, interest rates are irrelevant so there's no interest rates now this is i know this is mind jarring stuff so they just print governments and central banks become one uh, not separate uh, you print whatever is needed to do whatever you require, including paying people to stay at home like battery hens and do nothing. Uh, print whatever you need for infrastructures. And, uh, and if you print too much money and, and, and inflation starts becoming a problem, you simply tax it out of existence. You use taxes instead of interest rates to control inflation. That's modern monetary theory. And that's, that's, that's where we're going. It would appear according to those people's minds. Now, obviously, there's going to be a, a resistance to that from from conservative economics, um, and and that's the that's the next battleground. So it, it's just watch that space. So for me, the action is not at the street level, but Extinction Rebellion filling our television news reports and on on, 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 on on wintry evenings, uh, or are watching uh, AOC perform spectacular um, uh, examples of 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 debating. Uh, in the in Congress in the United States, I mean, just just amazing performer. Um, it's actually happening behind our backs, uh, at the top end between technocrats and big business. That's where we need to uh, pay our attention to. So that's maybe, why in the maybe article, the, maybe the Brits were right, so Eddie. 
<laughs> well, no, well, that's a separate issue. But I mean, I end the article by saying, you know, two cheers for messy democracy and three for Adam Smith. Um, the British decision, I mean, if you want, if you're at, you know, if we want to have a serious question about Brexit, I mean, the, 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 the British decision to leave the EU, um, walk away from its main trading block without trading, you know, and, and then relying on Trump of all people to kind of bail them out with a US agreement is it, nuts. But they're going to get cheap beef from Argentina, aren't they? It'll solve all their problems. Well, uh, <laughs> well look, I think that I, I think that whether there's an agreement or not, uh, it, you know, Cliff Taylor was writing about this recently in Times. I'm inclined to agree with him. Uh, the effect will more or less almost be the same. Uh, we now know that we're ready for. We can see what's coming. It's going to cause us a shock to our economy. But you know what? Uh, I, I would far prefer. Uh, to be here than to be in Britain if I was bringing up a young family over the next 20 or 30 years. Absolutely far, far prefer it. It's very sad to see it happening. Um, but that's, that's, the, that's the decision they've taken. Um, and I think we have a very bright future. Uh, our biggest problem, and I know it's an old bugbear of mine, is like that we are doing all of this with an, with a, with an Edwardian public sector that rewards uh, longevity rather than talent. We've all this wonderful young talent inside in the public sector hanging around until they're out of energy and out of ideas later in life to try and make it, to try and change the place. I mean, it would be so much easier to turn the public sector in Ireland into a meritocracy with proper technology, experimenting, trying things, uh, you know, and taking the lessons from the best around the world, the Estonians, New Zealand, and so on. It's all very doable, but it just completely, we lack the, uh, the energy and the leadership at the top of the public sector to even begin to think like that. It's all about protecting the realm and that's why, um, you know, that's why when we see, um, the, you know, the, 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 uh, the HSE, you know, doing its best to try and deal with the pandemic, but like between lockdown one and lockdown two, you know, what was the increase in the ICU uh, capacity, you know? I mean, yeah, when... and, and, and these are the questions that I think they're starting to to emerge now. Um, and, and, there's, and there's more and more people starting to come out and, and suggest it. But, you know, it's it, it's too late for lockdowns one and two, but hopefully it would actually prevent lockdown three. Um, and, and we've been speaking about this on on the show last week in terms of how lockdowns are supposed to buy you time. And uh, we have done absolutely nothing with that time in terms of whether it would well, be increasing beds if that's the worry that you have for shutting for shutting uh, the, the country and the economy back down so you know you, listen, you can i just make a, just a point there right I, I have a bit of mileage now on the clock i've reached that point i never thought i would but here i am talking about mileage on the clock to uh, you know the next generation coming along and i would just simply point out uh, just the, the the raw facts we're great at talking shite right talking about reform and we're going to and we never feckin' do it we just talk about it we'll, we'll we love a tribunal we'll play our songs we'll do all that but we actually won't get we roll up our sleeves and do something about it we just don't do it like that we just like talking about it that's why the joe duffy shows is is a, is is a success and nothing else seems to work um the facts are if you want to know why nothing will change until we change uh, i would i would use three words national children's hospital Right. That is classic. We now know, uh, we all know the numbers. We now know that thing should have been built for 400, 400 to 600 million. It's going to be built for over 2 billion, which is more than I think the, the most expensive skyscraper or the tallest skyscraper uh, in the world was built for some years ago. A similar type hospital was built in Finland 
for about 400, 400 to 500 million uh, in a greenfield site. Now, um, apart from the disaster of the decision to put it on the site because of all of the medical politics involved, et cetera, and all the years it took, uh, we now have a massive scandal of waste right in front of our eyes and nobody is accountable. And listen to me, nobody will be made accountable because accountability, in other words, consequences is something that only happens in the private sector. It does not happen in the public sector. And do you know why? Because that's the way they want it. That's the way they like it. And the rest of us basically work to maintain that system. And it's so feckin' frustrating when you're inside in the, in, the, in the SME sector where you don't have the same guarantees and luxury and, you know, coming up with the payroll at the end of the, of the week it is a challenge for a lot of SME owners to watch these clones do that to us, right? And it's not going to change because if it was going to change, heads would have already rolled on the National Children's Hospital and they won't. And when the dust settles on how we mismanaged uh, our affairs through the pandemic, nothing will be done. Nothing. We will have to sit through some boring primetime investigates yawn fest where two polit politicians will get into a pissing contest between one another over 40 minutes in RTE and that'll be the box ticked. People need to wake up. There is no, there is no real hard journalism being done in this country anymore either because of the uh, underinvestment in the area and, and the challenges it's under. Like, or uh, uh, the government leak information to the Irish Times. They then printed a speculation the next morning. This is all around the pandemic. And RT then run with it, as it says in the newspapers. This is Pravda. And then at around six o'clock, having got a kind of a public reaction, the government then decide what they're actually going to do. That's the game. Yeah, there's, right. there's a bit of there's a bit of banana republic off at our right, and um, I there, think and there's no there's no. And I think as 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 you say there in terms of accountability, if that was ever if that was ever to come, it would have come in the seventies, the eighties, and the nineties when when Thatcher's new public management and 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 Reagan's new public management yeah, were in full flight. Most people, any 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 sane person at this stage, if they haven't figured it out, have stopped watching RT news broadcast. I mean, I think George Lee is, is it, poor, old, poor old George doesn't know who he works for any longer. Is it Neffet or is it RTE? There's certainly no questions, you know, and, and, and there hasn't been any, you know, uh, real hard questioning about what's going on. Um, and it's just gamesmanship, leaks, counter leaks. Um, and like, it's just, it's just an appalling way to run a country. And the amazing thing is here we have this fantastically talented workforce with this great energy and spirit about us with fantastic, just fantastic capacity to do things so well. And we, and we continue to put up with this appalling um, public um, framework that we've got running, running the gaff, you know, in, using Edwardian uh, secrecy and, uh, uh, you know, promoting according to age and whose turn is it next, including the feckin' judges. I mean, it's unbelievable. We're still putting I, up. I think, I think we could actually turn this into some sort of 
Joe Rogan four and a half hour style <laughs> podcast, you know, if if we could. And it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on, Eddie. And and listen, we might um we might get you back in a, in a, in a few weeks time again when the the European Commission uh, meets and sits down to discuss the way forward and possibly you know MMT modern monetary theory cropping up in in the next couple of weeks. But uh, until then, thanks so much for joining me today, and welcome. we'll see you soon. Thank you very much.